0: Julia's interview, part two. Also, we want to hear from you listeners. Got questions you want us to answer? Maybe things you're afraid to ask? Well, you can send a message to rhythm at gmail.com. That's I-N-T rhythm at gmail.com. If you have to look up how to spell the word rhythm, I'm right there with you. But in case you need to know, it's intrhythm at gmail.com. And we will try our best to answer it for, for upcoming episodes. Unless you say otherwise, we will not mention your name when the question comes up. One more time, that's intRhythm at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send them in. Also, this music you're hearing is Baron Ryan. Check it out, firstofitskind.net. Now, part two of The Incredible Julia Loving.
1: Integrated Rhythm with Jasomo and Bobby.
0: So, Chisomo, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but Julia had a question for us.
2: Oh, yeah. All
0: right. Uh, Julia's question for us is What does integrated rhythm mean from a 2021 lens? And what does it mean from a Caucasian white perspective? A lot of approach and time has been spent on the black perspective, but I would like to have dialogue about how whites are navigating and sharing in the race conversation. And the lack of black agency in historically Afrocentric social dancing. A fantastic question. Hmm. It's a
1: great question. Yeah,
0: I've been thinking about, about this a lot uh, ever since Julia sent it. Okay. And you know that it's it's one of the things that my brain is kind of like running in so many different directions. It hasn't necessarily gotten anywhere. Um, You know, on on the one hand, this is a journey that's been happening for a while now, right? It's not just since the pandemic that this has been a problem in the scene and that it's been something that we've been talking about in the scene.
2: Right. That's why we have had all these panels. And, you know, even before COVID, we've had inclusion panels. I've had to have a list created that I created with the Frankie Manning Foundation as to, you know, the steps that, you
0: know. The 21 questions.
2: Yeah, the 21 questions as to what you need to do to make your your event or your scene more inclusive, you know, but that's coming from my lens
0: yeah, coming yeah, from
2: a black American lens. So I guess I'm just trying to figure out how is this being, you know, cause the, all, always, it seems like, you know, the black, black people are addressing issues of race all the time.
0: <laughs> right, right.
2: You know, and I just saw something about Brett Favre making a statement about the kneeling of uh, you know, football players. And I'm like, he's made millions off of, you know, sending that ball out and he's got under, you know, just under a black uh what's it he's been able to get his only <laughs> uh uh championship ring through the through black male football players, you know. And for him to make a comment like that, I just felt like, wow, are we still are how are we addressing that in our own scene? That, you know, so many have made money off of the backs and histories and legacies of this dance is, you know. And, you know, of course we have the Black Lindy Hoppers fund and people generously donate. But I'm saying, yeah, money is fine, but are we, are we changing again, like laws uh acts amendments but mindsets are we changing mindsets are we what are we doing in the scene but from a perspective of white people what are white people doing to change that that feeling is there you know that that separation
0: yeah and i know that like you know ever the quarantine has put i think a lot of people in kind of a a book club mode for lack of better word mm. where they're like they're reading about it they're educating about it i know several okay. dancing instructors who are like holding book clubs with their students yeah um but again you know that's just the book club phase like where, where when does that phase end and the action phase finally takes over and maybe that's um you know uh, if we take that back to you know bean town 2018 when uh when julia ran this really amazing um I, I i don't know what you would even call it it was just like a gathering it was a gathering of yeah, a it was the
2: circle, the right? yeah it was
0: my communal circle communal circle right
2: it takes me back to her and that's when i first met you
1: <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it takes me back to her i think it was our second conversation ended up being like several hours because we were planning that yes and, you we were like, "How should we structure this?" And I was like, "I think about Ubuntu yes. in the circle." You're yes. like, "Let's do a communal circle." Yeah.
0: That another that was another incredibly beautiful thing. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. That, and I remember very, I remember very distinctly the privilege walk. That was the first privilege walk I had ever seen. Yeah, and, and uh, see, those, I've, done,
2: were... I've done communal circles with my students, and I've done. The privilege walk with my students. So a lot of stuff that I brought to you all as a as the Lindy community were things that I actually work on with my actual um, high school students, you know, and my night school students that are you know my at risk night school students that I want them to graduate, you know. But uh, yeah, so bringing those inclusivity panels in, in 2018, body, I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, no, no, it's yes, right. yes, yes. And I wanted to be able to offer white, you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's out, we wake up to blackness every day, you know, right, we go right. to sleep to blackness every day, we're saturated and exhausted with blackness. So I guess what I, I want to know is how, and, it, and how are whites adjusting or, or sharing in this, you know, because a lot of it's rooted in, in white racism and white supremacy and white right. entitlement, yeah, yeah. you know? And
0: uh, yeah. yeah, so I mean, on the in you know uh, from my very limited perspective as you know, like an instructor, partic- particularly mostly in the Balboa scene, um, you know, it's those things. Is you have conversations a lot with other instructors who are like, "Oh yes, obviously," or you know, like there's yeah. a lot of like these things are indeed obvious. Yeah, and you know how can we do? You know, then then there's the question of like what action steps do we take to fix this situation and you know uh, a lot of those action steps i think are currently maybe in just like a very young Mm -hmm. part of their process right they're like okay we talk about the history of the dance in our classes okay um you know so that that's a step yes Um, that's a start yes but yeah so so you know where where do you go from there and you're like okay well think let's think about how we teach this dance and whether that's in harmony or not with you know the way that the dance was experienced you know with the original dancer, or, or, you know, with, with people who do this with black American dancing uh, legacy, you know, like uh, is, is what we're teaching is, is how we're teaching this dance and what we're teaching. Is it going against that? You know, those are questions that I'm asking myself mm-hmm. a lot as an instructor. Um, and then as you know, like who's in the room, uh, who is not in the room that, you know, is, is the door closed and who's the door closed on and how can we open that door? Right. You know, Great abstract questions, but as soon as you get into like the concretes, that's when the nitty gritty work starts. And and I wonder to to some extent, I wonder like, you know, uh, I, I I think like you know a lot of this obviously will take place in the local local level, right? Because yes. like, pe- people don't just come into the international scene, you know, that's not usually their first step in the door of Lindy Hop. Right. It's usually their local scenes, right? And how the local scene is. I, and that made me think that like, I think a lot of us dancers now, and maybe I'm just speaking from my own, like very specific perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us dancers think of the scene as nationally being like the big focus. And then like the local scene being like the like side focus or like the thing that you do in between the time that you're experiencing the the national scene, like, right. may, maybe people who get to go to a lot of international events or national events and stuff. Maybe they think of the dance scene that way. Um, uh as opposed to as opposed to realizing that your local scene is where like is the foundation of the scene. That's where everything lies. That's right. And so what things can we do in the local scene to to help you know change things. Yeah. And I I, yeah. I guess the pan you know the I'm I'm really fascinated by how things when things start coming back to normal, how the pandemic will have change that well, it's it going to yeah. be
2: some interesting yeah it's going to be some interesting dynamics you know but i i still say you know we, we've had conversations even before the the pandemic yeah. so we'll, we'll oh, yeah we'll see I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to know that there are scenes that did reach out and want to know how to do so you know it's certainly like these are the things that even with the black lindy hoppers fund some of the things that we want to do is actually be able to hire and 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 if people want to, uh, you know, and we have residencies, we have, you know, we'll have have instructors that are available, you know, for for even black uh, event organizers that want to hire and want to be able to have these different uh, things play out in their own scenes and to encourage that as well, and have people instead of people always going downtown in Manhattan, they can come uptown, yeah. and the willingness of people to want to come uptown. You know, yeah. and I think that has a lot to do with it as well, you know, is the, the willingness of whites to want to come uptown, you know, and, uh, and be a part of that different scenery, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and certainly, you know, Swing With Us NYC has had that we've had quite a few, you know, Yeah, and, and, and that's, a, and, you know, that support is really good too, you know,
0: something, I, something I love so much, you uh, Sorry. I'm...
2: That's okay. You saw my cat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All of our regular listeners know that this is almost like the sirens are like a guest.
2: Yes. A special <laughs> guest appearance. That's right. um,
0: uh Something I, I really enjoyed and felt so great uh, when I came up to your dances, the few times I've been able to come up, is uh, first off, there's a really strong there's almost like a really strong familial sense like there's people of all generations in the room and there's lots of people of all generations like uh and and you walk in and like you also there's a little bit of that like uh it's it's the the times I've been it's been in a a very intimate space in a really beautiful way that like basically a lot of people are gonna be sitting in chairs watching you dance which is kind of lovely in a way because again it's part of that community spirit of like
2: yes my you're mom like my just... mom greets you at the door <laughs> yeah. my mom yeah. my mom keeps the people from the outside that that are you know don't, don't necessarily want to be in there you know to yeah. dance they want to come in and you know so my mom is the security too right <laughs> and then we have yeah. ronald and and we also play you know, not only jazz we we have yeah exactly. yeah we have we have our own uptown group that we do exactly. What we call it is the Uptown Saturday Night Swing, you know, Uptown Saturday Night Lindy Hop, um, and so we, we do invite you know people from different generations to come, different you know everyone. So it's more it's it's a more inclusive space, and that's what I and I want and and you know a good part of that is bringing snacks and bringing people like to the snack, and they like yeah. water, and they like you know when you make it that like homely and you know like you're at home, it definitely is a familial. Isn't that interesting?
0: How the swing scene has kind of lost that, like basic rule of throwing a good party.
2: Yeah,
0: is having Mm -hmm. snacks and drinks around.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's just as simple as that. So simple, so powerful. It's just so. It's just as simple as that. You know, seriously. You know, and people at at, you know the Savoy did sit down and watch. Yeah. So you know, you know, you can't expect some of these old, you know, older. Uh, our elders to be dancing all throughout these fast songs. They're like, I'm going to sit this one out, (laughs) you know? And what I do like is that, that that you'll see one, a person from one generation dancing with another generation and someone that's white that's dancing with someone black. So you talk about integrated rhythm, you know, definitely, you know, is that, but they're uptown doing that, you know, in Harlem doing that, you know? And you know that it was important. Like when I when I actually really really went and started learning Lindy Hop itself, I learned in Harlem. You know, I learned in uh, my first example was seeing those elders dancing in the park. My second example was actually, and I always forget that I I I really started out learning from Arturo Perez. You remember Arturo? that used to work at Swing Forty Six. Arturo. Uh, uh, so he would teach, he was teaching at Wadley High School. And I went there a few times. Um, and something happened. I think I my, my schedule, I couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, I just so happened to work with uh, Barbara Jones, Allison Barbara Jones, Barbara Allison Jones, Barbara Bronx uh, with the Harlem Swing Dance Society. Um, and I, she invited me to come. And at that time, I believe Adam um, Brokowski, was running, was, was teaching with her. And I took maybe like one lesson with him and then Samuel Coleman took over and it changed my life. And I swear to God, you all would not believe this. I mean, I'm plus size as it is, but I was even more plus size then. I couldn't do swing outs. I couldn't, it's like the rock steps. And stuff. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is too much. I would go home sore. My legs would be hurting, you know, and I ended up losing about 30, 40 pounds. You know, taking class wow. with Samuel, and um, and it was just a, a great experience being able to. And then we started his, his well, his community really, really was there, and we had all kinds of intergenerational. So that was my first example of that. You know, in Harlem, seeing Samuel run it and seeing you know with with the Harlem Swing Dance Society, he's since you know started his own um, dance classes on on Tuesdays. Um, which we really miss, and then we started. And another part of that whole communalness was to be able to, as as a group of, and I call it my, you know, my Harlem Lindy family. We travel, and we travel together. We go places together. So, like when we go up to Beantown, now we have two apartments full of of people coming from Harlem, going, you know, and staying, and and our our global family coming, you know, our global black family staying with us as well. You know, but those hey, I I would say Samuel's the one that really introduced me to the music because I was never a big jazz person. My parents, like I said, were Motown, but you know the way he would teach it was he would not he wouldn't separate the music from the dance. He would teach about the 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 musicians the history, what was going on, you know, and this made it very helpful for a lot. Of, you know, I'm a, I am like history. I know a lot of it, but it helped a lot of people that were coming in that did not have that, um, you know, frame of reference with the, with regards to the dance, you know. So this was something that was being done back in, you know, he's been teaching for a while, but I started like in 2015. Um, and my first experience was going to Frankie 100 with him and our Lindy family. And I was like, my God, I didn't know all these people were doing, you know, and it was like global. I'm like, all these people. And then I, you know, I I, Quite an I initiation. so, yes, what an initiation, you know, I, I met Chaz, I met, it was, I met Chester Whitmore, I met Chaz Young, I met, you know, uh, Sugar Sullivan. As a matter of fact, I escorted Sugar Sullivan and Barbara Billups up to Harlem for something they were doing. They were doing, teaching uh, a dance with Sonny Allen. They were teaching so that was my first, you know, meeting of even Sonny Allen and, and all of them. So I started learning, you know, quickly through that 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 communalism that, that Samuel brought, you know, to uh and all of us went out and danced because of that. We would go on trips to to Swing 46 and I was like, this is a big thing. And you know, I just really wanted I was like, and it's a dance from from the African American community. That's what I really gravitated to it because I know for a long time you know that it's still important for us to support our our own you know histories and legacies and our you know to know about it ourselves and I thought it was very important that you know when I would google I didn't see black people you know like in the images I'm like Mm -hmm. but this is a dance that comes out of Harlem how does this happen you know so it was you know that that part of me also came out. The historian part, that wondered why. So, And I started bringing it to my school, you know, and I started teaching my kids. And I would bring guest teachers to come, you know, and, and talk to my students about, you know, the history of this uh, dance they call the Lindy Hop, this jazz dance.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what you just said kind of perfectly segues into my response to your question. Okay. So your, your question was mentioning that um, oftentimes like we don't have a choice as people who are, who are holders of racialized identities. We don't, we don't have a choice in how we engage in these topics because the world society decides for us. And so, um, so you've seen a lot of voices come through with integrated rhythm and the majority of those voices are from a particular perspective, right. from a racialized identity, right? right? Um, the hope with integrated rhythm isn't for the onus of the work to be put on Black people, right. but to elevate stories. So when we think about like Chimamanda at A Danger of a Single Story, right. we know that we're likely to fall into the trap of thinking that a particular group of people um, is monolithic if we don't have a diversity of stories. And so our hope in Integrated Rhythm is to elevate stories from a variety of different perspectives so that people can hear and do their own work um recognizing that the work of dismantling oppression is nuanced and integrated mm-hmm. we we kind of have chosen this approach so that we can work together and then also what you get in every episode is a conversation across racialized identities yeah which is part the integrated part of integrated rhythm right and so um when i when i think of the work of white people i do agree that like we as Black people alone cannot dismantle racism, anyone holding a racialized identity. So whether that is um, Black, AAPI, yeah. um, uh, across yeah. the spectrum, right? It is not our job. It is not our responsibility to dismantle the system that oppress, oppresses us. So so we, we must partner together and we all have to do our work to also question our internalized processes. Another beautiful thing that I think you get with integrated rhythm is you get to hear and see, um, a white guy listening to people a lot. <laughs> like, Bobby does this beautiful job, <laughs> right? Of yeah. Being the white guy in the room yeah. that sometimes just lets people say what they need to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, and then also like is totally owns his, identity and isn't you know trying to be anything other and isn't trying to um like he himself can't dismantle this entire system but i think what's beautiful is that we get to have this moment we get to have these coffee time moments these opportunities to share stories and um bring proximal things that are far away yes frankie manning norma miller these are iconic names but we they're not mainstream names right and so but if i say um if i say like you said Gene kelly if i say um oh my goodness all of the names have gone ginger rogers fred right astaire. like there's certain right sorry and fred astaire yeah fred astaire you you were in my brain you knew exactly i was <laughs> like that's the name fred astaire. so like we have these names that are household names but like names like frankie manning um, and like the white whiteys, Lindy Hoppers, like those should be household names. But because of racism, we don't know them as household right. names. They've contributed so much to our dance history in the U.S.
0: They've, like in that yeah. they've com- they've contributed what Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly do for the most part. Like they're they're doing tap dance in a Black American style, uh, and like you know, like people would say if people would say Fred Astaire, like one of his famous like. Uh, review quotes or whatever is that he was white on top and black on the bottom that like Mm -hmm. his feet and stuff and the way that he danced was very black American and he just happened to you know he was on top he was that elegant white face
1: yeah yeah and so and he was he was taking from this community but then he was able to be elevated because his story his person was more like acceptable, Arthur Murray, acceptable,
2: you know, like yeah. Arthur Murray, just, you know, able to open up hundreds of, of spaces, a of dance, but really rooted in jazz dance that, he, yeah. you know, like, so, it, you know, we have to talk to, about the appropriation versus the appreciation. And also we need to talk right. about the money. Like,
1: you know, you follow the money, then you'll see you know, evidence of what, what is and what was, you know? Right. Exactly. And document like money hand in hand goes with documentation. What, you know, so we have these films, we have screen time and and people who looked a particular way got money in screen time and people who looked another way did not like, and so, and it was as simple as that. Yeah. And so. Um, and the ones
0: who I didn't uh, the ones who weren't white didn't get to choose how they were represented
1: correct right. like they Correct. Exactly.
0: yeah they're not going to tell they're not going to tell fred astaire to ham it up for the can like yeah they're not going to tell him to like or put on a baker's, a outfit, or on yeah, a baker's exactly.
2: outfit or put on a outfit we had that conversation about you know about Whitey's lindy hoppers having to wear all of these uh service uh like uh wear i'm the chauffeur i'm the baker i'm the cook you know yeah 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 Absolutely. They did and so, you I, know, I when I also... think about it, they did so that so that we did not so we do not have to in many ways, you know, like every generation is, is supposed to get better, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that, that I think that has a lot to do with uh, how we can move forward too. is to to really accept the fact that this was done to a people. And that the people here yeah. reaping benefits from it need to have that understanding as well. You know and i think yeah. that education is a big part of it you know and i can't yeah. you know i can't fault a lot of whites for not knowing because i look at a school system that i work for that is definitely eurocentric i'm teaching us history this this semester and as i told my students i said i'm going to teach you i'm going to teach you from a lens of of marginalization oppression and we're going to look at American history from the perspective and eyes of Native Americans, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, African Americans, you know, um, yeah. and, and you can't even, you know, in many ways, if the system's broke, it has to be redone. It has to be refurbished. It has to be, you know, and people have to learn and, and, and be willing to learn as educators themselves the history yeah. and not be afraid of it and don't deny it, you know? So when I think of integrated, I'm, that's what I'm thinking about, you know, and it's not saying, oh, we're begging for charity or we're begging for empathy, but we're here. We want to exist. And and this is the way that we can all properly exist. If, if we actually are able to uh, accept the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, yeah. of this history, you know, the fact is we did have, We had white supremacy storming a nation's capital with Confederate flags. So we do have a population of American folks that are are rooted in supremacy, white supremacy and white empowerment. So this is a 2021 lens and issue that we're going to, you know, and it will trickle into our community, our dance community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that as much as as much as. I think the majority of the white people in the scene are not intentionally. Meaning to be racist, uh, you know. It's they. We all need to understand as white people that we're part of. There's not just one of us. There are is an overwhelming number of us, and I use that word very specifically. An overwhelming number of us that our actions, even if unintentional, are going to be a giant force on whatever goes on in the swing dancing scene. And so, in a way, we have to be hyper vigilant about our actions and about what we do in the scene in order to keep ourselves from overwhelming, you know, the scene in a, in an unhealthy direction.
1: Yeah. I, I would actually say that white supremacy is the norm and it's internalized in all of us. And it's something where all of us have to endeavor to interrupt white supremacy within ourselves. You know um, privilege is hard. And when people at like the word racist like so many people don't want to identify with that word yeah. but um if we can humble ourselves and recognize that when we say you when someone is talking about ways to make things better the you apply if you have a brain and you're hearing me and understand what i'm saying that applies to you yeah it's not the person behind you. It's not the person next to you. It is you. And so, and in that um, that interruption of our autopilot, which is um, based in Eurocentric thinking, that is based in in white supremacy. Like, if we take some time and some courage and are self reflective, we can we can make a difference. But it's it's something that has to be owned by every single member of the swing dance community. It's something that um, everybody needs to 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 deal with, um, I was listening to Brene Brown earlier this week, and she said, like, like the number one like key indicator that she's found in her research about leadership is um, courage. Yes. And, um, in in understanding courage, like fear isn't the opposite of courage. Actually, what is the opposite of courage is self protection. Yes. And mm-hmm. so, recognizing that our self-protection does more harm than our fear does and pushing beyond our fear to do things scared, to ask questions, to humble ourselves perpetually, put ourselves in that place where we might not be right and where we might feel fragile and that's okay, but to recognize that that's part of a learning process. Like if there was something I were to say to... To all of us, but specifically white people, would be to do that be brave, do the work, yeah, and recognize that in doing the work, you're making the world, the scene, and your other worlds better.
2: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah,
0: you heard enough, and now it's time for the break. Hey everyone, we here at Integrated Rhythm love supporting black businesses. Why? Because if capitalism has been against black people for so long, one of the ways we can help them rise up again is through capitalism. So throw some money at their community, please. This week, our uh, black business that we'd like to spotlight happens to be a swing dancer. So there's Thousands of more reasons why you should support them to help give the scene more life and energy because it is Julia Loving, the amazing Julia Loving, the, dare I say it, loving Julia Loving. And she is the owner and proprietor of a Lucky Lindy's, which is a comfortable, form fitting undergarment made of high quality spandex. They were designed to be worn under all types of dresses and skirt styles, and pants, by the way. They are light and they've got sturdy sewing because they know what you're going to put them through. And I even hear rumors of secret pockets that you can hold secrets in. They have all sorts of colors and patterns. They're killing it. You should check them out. And they even have these amazing sparkling cutters that are fan- uh, sparkling colors that are fantastic for those performers out there who want to show some sparkle. You can find. Julia Loving's Lucky Lindy's at Lucky Lindy's NYC Etsy store. That's right. Go to Etsy, type in Lucky Lindy's L-I-N-D-Y-S NYC Click and you'll go there and you'll love it. By the way, what is that fantastic music we're listening to again? It's Baron Ryan. That's Laurel's brother, a badass pianist known for his combination of classical and jazz music. His new album, First of Its Kind, is rights-free. You heard us correct. Anyone can use it. Put it on your podcast, your YouTube video, your own music project. It's all yours. Want the album and any of his other work? Head to baronryan.com. Want to hear him play with Ryan's father, yet another badass pianist? Head to ryanandryanmusic.com. And most importantly, you can contribute to Barron's project of making rights-free music. Because as delicious as it is, you can't live off of admiration and appreciation. Go to firstofitskind.net. Check out the story, learn how awesome this project is, and help support it. That's firstofitskind.net. Is there anything, Julia, that you really want to make sure that you got a chance to say?
2: uh other than uh, when we're up and you know running after COVID, we'll we'll continue doing our Swing with Us NYC events in Harlem. Um, I also sell Lucky Lindy's NYC, which are undergarments for the dancer in you, all shapes, sizes, and. Patterns and colors <laughs> and they're available on Etsy.com. <laughs> you know,
0: I mean, I haven't worn them personally, but <laughs> they look fantastic. The colors and all those things. And they have like great sparkly ones. If you're a performer, you should totally get in on those.
2: I gave Latasha a pair of, of, um, uh, African print. I've given Avita Some and Vita's like, Oh, they's holding me in very great. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> you know, so
2: yeah. Um, so, luckily, uh, Link is when... NYC. I was going to just tell you all one of these things about uh, something that's controversial but funny to me. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, I yeah. think I think uh, <laughs> I'm always talking about because you know I live in the Bronx, right? But you know, there's a controversy about where hip hop was starting, right? So to take it a little bit lighter, right? Um, there's a controversy that that hip hop did not necessarily start in the Bronx. And so you could ask anyone from New York City and you, you could ask Nas, he would be like, oh, hip hop started in Queens. You could ask somebody, you know, special ed. It started in Brooklyn, you know. And then you could ask the old timers they say, well, no, it started with Pygmy Martin and uh, here comes the judge, right? And then, it, then you could ask somebody and you know, say, nah, that was Louis Armstrong scatting. And, you know, that was that thing in Harlem that they did at the Renaissance ballroom and that Bronx Savoy ballroom back in the 70s, right? And then they could say, oh, no, it gets serious. They say, the last poets did it. And you know that song, you know, Gil Scott Heron, the revolution will not be televised. They said, that's the rap, that's it. Or maybe it was Quincy Jones when he spoke about the Griots having that rap, you know, using rap as a way to communicate, uh, you know, to to the 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 other uh villagers you know um or it could just be that funk you know that revolution in funk that comes out of the vietnam war ever right or you could. so i just thought that was funny because i'm always battling and you know i'm from the bronx so i'm going to say certainly i'm going to say it started in the 70s in the bronx it started with <laughs> cool Herc. it started with africa bambata, and it started with uh DJ, no MC, no, no, what is he? Uh Grandmaster Flash, DJ Grandmaster Flash. But then they'll say no, it started with Grandmaster Flowers that was in Queens. <laughs> so I just yeah, so it's just funny to me. I thought and there's a there's an actual video that Chuck D from Public Enemy just came out I would say a few years ago um called Founding Fathers the Untold Story of Hip Hop. And you know I, I'm a I'm a I'm a child of the hip hop era. And uh, so I just thought that was something that, you know, is is funny to me, you know, that people and it's great to hear all of these different perspectives. Right. Because you didn't I know I didn't think of it, you know, and I just naturally know it's from the Bronx. Right. But there are other perspectives that,
0: that reminds me like. Uh, so first off, folks, you heard it here. If you want to fight, you know where to find Julia Loving. <laughs> so take yeah. it on. And then that I'm a, I'm
2: a, one more mention DJ Frankie Crawford Crocker on WBLS 107.5 here in the Bronx is still the only hip hop uh radio station besides 90 was it 90 Hot 97 and you know but it's one of the originals that played hip hop music that's still you know going around and some say that Frankie Crocker used to have some rhymes too you know and that's where people got it from <laughs>
0: So that, that reminds me of two things first off when i got when i saw the evolution of hip-hop documentary on netflix have you seen that yeah uh when i first saw that you know uh it made me so envious of that history and that because like someone would be like oh yeah well that's happened at this one party that i went to and i <laughs> yes. was like yeah i was at that party too that definitely happened here's the flyer from the part like to have that much like definitive history yeah. and have like the oral story still around yeah. so just imagine like being able to sit around you know uh, why these Lindy hoppers and hear the, and hear them, you know, talk like that. Yeah. Um, and to have a eight part Netflix documentary. Well, when it. you
2: think about it, Lindy hop and hip hop are two of the general, two of the dance crazes that were founded out of the black community in New York city. Right. And yeah. they both had the music to accompany the dance. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, so there's, there's,
2: there's hip hop, you know, of course, the four elements with dancing and, b-boying and break dancing and all of that coming out of you know hip-hop and then you have the lindy hop coming out of with jazz you know jazz yeah. dancing you know so you know i just i i was i thought that was that was cool and the fact that hip-hop also was performed at the renaissance ballroom and performed yeah. at the savoy uh you know
0: um the savoy, the, manor. The
2: savoy manor right
0: did, did you ever get to go to savoy manor yes
2: yes yes my you know my mom and dad i don't know for some reason back in the, I'm thinking in the seventies or whatever, they used to have parties there sometimes, you know? Um, And my family would go to them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Those listeners who don't know the Savoy Manor was the ballroom that opened two years after the Savoy closed down. And it was the continuation of the Savoy legacy as where Mama Lou Parks uh, was her home base as she trained all the Lindy Hoppers for the Harvest Moon Balls. And it continued to be a part of, uh, of the neighborhood history, including hip, some of the first hip-hop stuff was happening in that mm-hmm. venue yep. yeah
2: so that's that's what i bring to, to, to is my hip-hop stuff you know <laughs> oh,
0: well, something that something that's so cool uh something that's so cool is that you you yourself were part of a great migration story very similar to our elders in the dance you yourself grew up in new york city which if you haven't grown up in like a neighborhood area like in New York City, like the Bronx or Harlem, is a very specific place. It has a very specific feeling and a very specific energy to it. Absolutely. And you yourself witnessed the rise of hip hop happening in a very similar way that the rise of jazz dance happened. And so you have like all these... all these links to like yes, the legacy of the day,
2: And, you know, I used to be, a, you know, I have older brothers and, and, and their brother, my brothers had friends and they called themselves the juice town, juice town boys. But now they're the Juicetown men because they're mostly in their fifties and older. And I was a tag along, you know, I tagged along everywhere. My brothers like, stand behind me, you know, but I was a witness to it. I was young. And I would have my girlfriends with me. We would go bike riding. they used to have a place, uh, And right here, I live in the northeast section of the Bronx. It was called Valley Park. And that's where all the hip hop jams would be. You know, anyone that was anyone would come through there and they would uh, jam. And, you know, you would hear all kind of DJing and, you know, and a lot of it was through like the electricity that came from the lamppost, (laughs) you know. It wasn't running from people's homes. It was coming from the lamppost, Uh, you know. And after a certain while, you know, they would still try to jam with the lights out, you know, lights on. And, you know, it's just, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I was a witness to a lot of it. My brother used to rap. As a matter of fact, my brother's DJ left them. Well, I'm not going to say he left them. He he was a DJ for two groups, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And why this is well relevant is because during the crush groove era of the 80s, um, this is where a group called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde comes about. And Andre Harrell, who's recently passed, started Uptown Productions. And you know who was his intern? Sean Puffy Combs. Okay, so what I'm just saying, so you know, when you're thinking about legacies, that's those are legacies that you know that are similar into Lindy Hop, but same in, in hip hop. Who you interned with? Who did you who taught you? You know. Um, he he andre Harrell uh, with Uptown Productions also um, brought out Mary J. Blige, Jodeci, um. The the fat boy, not the fat boys. Uh, what's his name? I can't even think of his name right now. Um, but so many groups came out of Andre Harrell, which was one of these, you know, pioneering. Uh, uh, and 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 talking about black agency, starting his own, uh, his own record company. You know, when he started seeing that a lot of blacks were being ripped off in the hip hop industry, you know, same thing with Russell Simmons. But they all have ties to like the originators of 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 hip hop, you know. Mm -hmm. And I still say it was in the Bronx. (laughs) Yeah. So that that that's my little my little uh, controversy, but funny, you know. At the same,
0: yeah. And the other thing that makes me think about is like you know the origin of Lindy Hop stories, right? Yeah. Like uh... yes, yes, it's so. No, it was Shorty (laughs) George here. No, 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 no. (laughs) It was uh, Herbert Whitey said he invented it. That's right. That's That's
2: right. The, the, uh, if you juxtapose them, you will see so many parallels, you know, that, yeah. that that that's one of the things that I guess that's probably why I gravitated so much to, to Lindy Hop because of that same kind of, you know, history, you know, it, and it being of the streets of the people, you know, of the
1: community. Yeah.